Hello and welcome to The Menu, Monaco Radio's food and drink programme. I'm your host, Chiara Rimella. Today, it's our Christmas special and we take a deep dive into some classic and more unusual culinary Christmas traditions. Coming up in the programme, I sit down with Fernando Augusto Pacheco for a battle of the panettones. Yes, Brazilians love panettone. And it's not just like here in the UK, where clearly people love panettone as well. You can buy it in every single supermarket. Bring Brazil is almost a cultural thing. Also in the programme, Monica Lillis sings the praises of Christmas pudding. Picture this. Christmas Day has arrived. Father Christmas has been and gone, the turkey and pigs and blankets have been gobbled, and the rounded pudding that has been resting for months is ready for its moment in the spotlight. Plus, Nina Dos Santos tells us why it will be cod on her Christmas table this year. All that here on the menu on Monocle Radio. No Christmas in Italy is really complete without panettone. At this time of year, thousands of pasticcerie up and down the country are busy making the sweet bread studded with raisin and candied fruit to satisfy cravings for this fluffy delight. Over the years, the panettone's fortunes have risen all over the world, but few nations have taken to the tradition with as much gusto as Brazil. Not only do Brazilians love eating a slice or two of this aromatic delight at Christmas, but it turns out the country holds a perhaps surprising record. It is home to the biggest panettone maker in the world. But can its taste stand up to the test when it comes to going head-to-head with the original? Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco and I sat down in the studio to fly the flag for our respective countries and battled it out to the last crumb. Yes, Brazilians love panettone. And it's not just like here in the UK, where clearly people love panettone as well. You can buy it in every single supermarket. Bring Brazil is almost a cultural thing. So when it comes to Christmas, if you have, you know, a doorman, a teacher that you admire the whole year, you give a panettone. I mean, there's no other option of another gift. Uh, and yes, the biggest panettone maker in the world is Balduco, which is a Brazilian uh, company of course, founded by an Italian immigrant who moved to Brazil in the 50s. But Balduco is massive. I mean, they're present worldwide. Uh, and you know Starbucks here in the UK. I think we have similar uh, kind of type of place. It's called Casa Balduco. And you can have a coffee and you can have panettone. The all whole, year round? All year round. Oh, my God. We, we don't respect tradition that much in Brazil. I think that's the difference. Yeah. Can you have a panettone year round in Italy? I think it would be quite frowned upon. But Italians, on exactly on the opposite end of the scale, are sticklers for tradition. So, you know, cappuccino, just a specific time. Panettone, just a specific time. You know, we don't like to mess about. Um Do you have memories of eating panettone as a kid in Brazil? Was it already a thing back then? Is it a long-standing tradition? It's a long-standing tradition. I had memories, and, and as I said, of course, and again, that's the difference... I'm presuming from Italy as well, that we go crazy with the flavors. Of course, the dried fruit, the, the classics, uh, with chocolate. I don't know if you consider this a classic or not. I We're going to get onto uh, this the, shortly. The, but. the Dose de Leche version, uh, it's, it's going through the roofs. I mean, that's kind of a favorite among Brazilians. Definitely not traditional. White chocolate. I mean, you name it. I think Brazilians, that's what we do with the cuisines that come to the country. I mean, the Japanese would be very surprised at what we made uh, of uh, Japanese cuisine. Can I give you another statistic? You might feel a bit happier after this. Okay, let's uh, hear it. The consumption of panettones per capita. You guys are still number one. Okay, great. Italy number one. Brazil is number three. 
very decent. So who's a mystery guest number two? It's Peru. <laughs> oh mean, my God. They love, and they love apparently eating panettone with hot chocolate. Um, Which makes sense. It is, you know, I, on the subject of unconventional flavors, hmm. When I was a kid, there weren't that many of the of the kind of new versions around. Nowadays, you can find those with cream inside, pistachio, all sorts of things. I'm a stickler for tradition when it comes to both pandoro and panettone. I think that they are better, best consumed in their original form, and then you can embellish them with creams that perhaps you have prepared yourself. But they should come out of the box in their you know, most elementary form, and then you can play around with it. But I do think that it's interesting to think of the Brazilian obsession with panettone is also representative of Brazil as a country and its culinary traditions. You were just mentioning there, you know, a link to Japan as well. But what do you think this obsession with panettone says about Brazil as a country and its cuisine as a as a result? Well, there's two things here. First of all, we have a sweet tooth. I mean, it, it, it's, it's inevitable. So, of course, we would love the panettone. But yes, I mean, it's I struggle when people say, what's typical Brazilian cuisine? It's very hard. And I think this is shared by other countries, perhaps with the same type of immigrant tradition like even Australia, it's, it's hard to define what's Brazilian food. Of course, rice, beans, but I mean, when you go to Sao Paulo, where I'm from, we have three communities that are the pillar of our of our cuisine, which is the Italian, the, the Japanese, and the Lebanese. And for me, I generally feel that that's very much Brazilian, uh, mm-hmm. in a way, with some adaptations here and there. And I think panettone is that. But, you know, Panettone is bigger than all of that because not all Brazilians eat Lebanese food. But this is, if you go to the Amazon, if you go to the northeast, the south of Brazil, the center west, everybody will eat panettone. It's incredible. The supermarkets, they look beautiful. Uh, And as I said, I think the UK does a nice job, but I I wouldn't even compare. And uh, is there something else that is very Brazilian and is very Christmassy? And again, in the knowledge that calling something very Brazilian can mean lots of different mm. things and it is in itself a very multicultural mm. idea. But what else do Brazilians eat at Christmas that is just so specific? Well, it's funny because I just said that we like to invent, but actually Christmas, it's not that different uh, from an European Christmas besides the weather. Uh, well, there's turkey, you know, there's some special potato salads. Uh, I, I remember that. But my family is not very traditional and we go for what we like, actually. So we do have beef for Christmas quite a lot, like it's a nice piece of filet mignon. I don't think that's very Christmassy, but I think that's kind of my family and desserts. I mean, we always, we don't do Christmas pudding, which I hate. Sorry. Yeah, let's Sorry, not say listeners. it too loud as, as two people who have been adopted by the UK. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, that is one of the least, my least favorite aspects of festive eating in the UK. But there are a lot of types of different cakes as well, and of course, the panettone. Well, speaking of um, going for something that you like and, and your family, this being one of your family traits, I find it very amusing that in choosing your uh, Brazilian panettone that you've brought in to the studio today, and it smells heavenly, I have to say. From Balduco? Yeah, from Balduco, of course. <laughs> um, but you chose to go with the chocolate option, which to me is anathema, <laughs> of course. Um, but that's because you like the chocolate option. I, on the other hand, also did my bit and went out and sourced 
a properly Italian panettone with all the raisins and the candied fruit and, you know, all the trimmings. And I guess what we are about to find out is uh, whether the two can compare. A bit of a taste test. Love that. And we do have a tiny little Pandoro as well because both you and I actually are quite simple eaters and we're like on the Pandora end of the scale. So we're just going to please ourselves with that. Nothing can beat a Pandora, you know, sometimes. Okay, so should I do the honours and cut you a little slice of the balducco? Absolutely. Let's get Christmas started. And, you know, I think you start winning, by the way, Cara, because I, I do think the Italian one looks a little bit prettier, a little bit kind of more baked, in yeah, a way. Um, okay, so... Um, here we go. Love so, that noise. Let's share one, because... Um, we just don't want to fill up too much before uh, the actual feast begins. <laughs> We're starting with Brazilian first. I'll Let give you the try. better, the better Ooh. and bigger bit because I am a very generous host. Thank you very much. Grazie Let's go mille. for it. Mm. 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 Childhood. Mm -hmm. I, I like it. I have to like this. Mm. A bit doughy, but mm. that's okay. It's exactly as I imagined it would be. Mm. It's kind of brioche-like almost. Mm. Very sweet. It's really for kids, really, isn't it? <laughs> and Brazil, we are kids at heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? A lot of, I feel like a lot of Italian specialties can be quite grown up, actually. Mm. But then the way that they are adapted around the world tends to kind of take the edge off a little bit. You're very on point because it is Italian. But yeah, it's kind of... Generous, easy, mm. if I could describe this panettone. But very Brazilian. Very Brazilian. Like a warm Sao yeah. Paulo hug. Mm. But I'm eating the whole thing. I'm sorry. Oh, of course. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. Excellent. Okay, listen. Mm. I said that I was an orthodox Italian, but I contain multitudes. <laughs> and I contain multiple panettones. So let's go for the second option. I mean, when you even touch it, you're going to feel immediately the difference. It's so much more dense. Much less brioche-like, much more like, yeah, like a yeasted dough. It, it's much more bread-like. Hmm. Here you go. So I do hear on the grapevine that you're not that into candied fruits. No, but, you know, it's my job, you know. Cara, I'm <laughs> you know, going to close thing, my eyes. <laughs> it's <laughs> the things we put ourselves through oh, God. for our job. Oh, God. But I'm, I'm curious about the dough. Let me, let me have a look. Okay. And smell it, too. It smells so much more eggy. You mm. can really smell the ingredients in it. Mm, there's an elegance to it, and, and it feels mm. a bit more alcoholic, if I if I may say. It does, yes. Yeah. It's just more mm. grown up as mm. a taste, you mm -hmm. know. You have the raisins, you have the candied fruit, mm. but it's not actually too sweet. Yeah, it has an elegance. A lot of people um, in my family also we often eat it with zabaione, mm. which is a, a kind of a whipped custard with um, marsala in it. So it is boozy. It is a grown-up taste, it which is, is why the kids like the pandoro. Not that many kids like pan panettone, actually. You know what? I should stop being a silly man and not eating dried fruits because, <gasps> you know what? The, the revelation, the transformation yes, happening right here, right now my, on Monocle Radio. My problem with dried fruits is strictly visual. I'm a very visual person and I don't think they look very pretty. But maybe in an elegant, slightly boozy panettone, maybe I don't mind so much, actually. You heard it mm. here first. Fernando is converted. Mm. People are really specific about where they want the panettone from. And of course, there are panettone awards. So Milan is actually the home of panettone, really. And in Milan, people have very strong opinions as to which pasticceria 
makes the best panettone in Milan. And of course, there will be the one is like, we're the original ones, we're the ones that made it first, and and the other ones who are the more upstarts kind of competitors. Um, but, you know, in my house, we live in Turin, my family does. And if somebody comes for Christmas um, for Christmas lunch and they just say, you know, I brought this panettone from Milan, everyone's very impressed because they went to the effort Ooh. of actually sourcing it from the very best place it possibly can. And, you know, you wouldn't have Christmas without panettone. It's unthinkable, I think. You know, it, it just doesn't compute. Even if after the third or fourth course, you cannot possibly stuff yourself with anything more you just have to have a slice that we can agree on we yeah. can't have a Christmas without panettones right well and in my case I think that I can't have a Christmas without pandoro so oh. let's indulge in one last time once more with feeling we have a tiny little example here so pandoro is much simpler um, more vanilla-y in taste and, but again still a bit a bit more spongy in texture yeah. I guess um, still bready. Um, usually comes with like a big, um, a big sachet of icing that you're supposed to put on top and then reclose the Pandoro's um, plastic bag and shake it around like it was some sort of mad cocktail, and then it all gets completely covered in this delicious icing mm. kind of crust, um, which makes it all the more delicious. This tastes like heaven. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is heaven. It's fluffy. It's easy, but, you know, I wouldn't say perhaps like Chocotoni, which is a bit sweet. It doesn't have that overpowering sweetness as well. Ooh. Mm. Mm. And on that note, on that heavenly note, <laughs> uh, let's, continue the, let's continue eating this until Christmas. I mean, Feliz Natal. We've got time. <laughs> and Buon Natale a te. <laughs> From Italian and Brazilian Christmas traditions to a British one. Christmas puddings have long been a staple on the festive tables here in the UK. The suet-based dessert is filled with raisins and other dried fruit, as well as being doused in lashings of brandy. It is then set alight, a ritual that pudding purists wait for with bated breath every year. However, in more recent years, Christmas pudding has been getting a bad rap. It is often seen as a stuffy and old-fashioned take on the taste of the season, but Monaco's Monica Lillis disagrees. Here, she explains why we shouldn't give up on a beloved tradition just yet. Take a listen. This year has been a sad one for Christmas pudding. The traditional dessert has been dissed by celebrity chefs who believe we should substitute it with something chocolatey. It's even being reported that supermarkets are subbing their stock with certain aforementioned Italian cakes. Here in London, Monocle's staff in particular are struggling to sing its praises. I must admit, Christmas pudding isn't my favourite. My grandmother used to make them many years ago and they weren't very good. Legendarily, one year she had to bury it in the back garden in Adelaide and we never let hear the end of it. Even if you set fire to it, I still find it disgusting. However, it's my view that the world is wrong on this matter and I have decided enough is enough. Today, I'm here to tell you why you should refrain from scrapping figgy pudding from your tables this year. Firstly, Christmas pudding is one of Britain's most traditional festive delicacies and no Christmas dinner would be complete without one. The humble dessert once began life as pottage. This was a kind of broth which included raisins and other dried fruits, spices and wine. 
The mixture was then thickened with breadcrumbs and ground almonds, not too dissimilar to the mince pies of yesteryear, which often included meat or meat stock. It wasn't until the Victorian era that the pudding we know and love became a staple at this time of year. Despite being conservative folk, the Victorians believed that Christmas should be celebrated and so they started the tradition of Stir Up Sunday. The rituals saw Victorian families make their pudding on the fifth Sunday before Christmas. Each family member was supposed to stir the mixture from east to west to honour the journey of the three wise men. It was also thought to bring luck to the family in the coming year. The pudding would come to epitomise Christmas and take its place on tables across the country. Another thing that makes Christmas pudding so exciting is the act of setting it ablaze. Picture this, Christmas Day has arrived. Father Christmas has been and gone, the turkey and pigs and blankets have been gobbled and the rounded pudding that has been resting for months is ready for its moment in the spotlight. Open the cupboard and take out your favourite heatproof plate and douse the pudding in brandy. Not the good stuff though, someone will want to drink that later. With the strike of a match, the pudding goes up in flames. Flickering in the dark of a cold winter evening, the blue inferno dances across the plate and the rich, delicious smells of alcohol, treacle and apple fill the room. Once the flame simmers and you're left with a warm, steamy pudding, it's time to grab the tub of thick brandy butter from your fridge. Once upon a time, you may have thought this dessert wasn't for you. But now your taste buds have evolved and you could handle the stronger boozy tastes you once shied away from. The warm, fruity notes and gooey textures blend perfectly with the cooling, spirituous brandy cream. It's an acquired taste for sure, but it's one you can only find at Christmas, and one I always look forward to. Well, there's only really one thing left to do. Eat the lot. For Monocle Radio, I'm Monica Lillis. Bacalao, or a salted cod, has been a mainstay on Portuguese menus since the 15th century. The pungent preserved fish is so popular that the Portuguese claim to have at least 365 recipes to cook it, one for each day of the year, including, crucially, on Christmas Eve, for cod's sake. Nina dos Santos visited renowned Portuguese chef Nuno Mendes in his London restaurant Lisboeta to discuss the importance of this fish during his country's festive season. Roasted or steamed, or even sautéed or creamed, cod enjoys a cult-like status in Portugal. Though not native to the country's coastal waters, a salted version of this white fish, called bacalhau, is a culinary throwback to the times when this small nation once ruled the waves and half of the known world. Cod, quite literally, is a plateful of national pride. There are said to be hundreds, if not thousands, of ways to cook bacalhau, and each family has their own take on the traditional recipes, which they love to show off during the festive season, as I discovered myself over a decade ago after marrying into a Portuguese family. 
Nuno Mendes is one of the world's best-known Portuguese chefs, bringing his country's hitherto underappreciated cuisine to some of the most desirable restaurants, from his initial success with Viajante or Traveller in East London to the chic Chiltern Firehouse in the capital's West End. Today, we're meeting in his latest eatery, Lisboeta, which feels just like a real Portuguese tashka or tavern, from the tiled floors to the netted curtains looking out over Fitzrovia. Bacalhau is, is the most revered Christmas food. It's, um, everything is centered around the table, is basically all centered around this wonderful dish. Uh, and well, I think what's, what's interesting is that because of our mercantile history, we have so many different influences ingredients to work with styles of cooking within the within you know the whole country and and, if you, and also the islands so it is it is quite it is quite interesting to see and, and 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 you know it allows us to actually have a really different range of ingredients to work with to pair with this one product Bacalhau became a staple of the Portuguese Navy centuries ago as its ships sailed back and forth across the Atlantic and further afield towards the far east Dried and heavily salted, it can be preserved for years. But cooking this kind of cod requires some hefty preparation. First, it must be soaked in fresh water for days. Then, the cod cooking gets creative. How important is bacalhau, the salted cod, to the Christmas tradition in the sense that, you know, even my own personal observation is different sides of the family make it different ways. <laughs> and everyone, one turns their nose up at the other one's recipe. Everyone time has time their own again. recipe. Everyone has, argues about which recipe is better, which recipe should be the one at the table on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, which we celebrate, as you know, in Portugal, we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. So the big gathering with the table is usually on the 24th. Invariably, I hate to say it, it's so freaking salty because it's not desalted enough. But... I think in most in most homes, the bacalhau served on Christmas Eve is actually typically a boiled or slow roasted cod with with like the more gar like the more classical garnishes like like uh, chickpeas, um, potatoes, like vegetables that are like just poached or, or cooked, just very like steamed or, or baked very gently. The main meal often starts with a glass of sparkling wine, accompanied by some cod fritters or pastéis de bacalhau, whose ratio of potato to fish will probably be politely yet publicly scrutinised. You know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, this is, this is really bad because it's got too much potato. I think the ratio has to be right, but I think the potato, especially when you're working with salted cod, it really helps with the creaminess and the caramelised onions as well, which most people don't eat. Nuno and I first met 20 years ago via a mutual friend. Since then, he's won the odd Michelin star and made it to the world's top 50 restaurants. So it's quite a treat to have the man himself cook me a traditional dish from Lisbon, bacalhau abrache, with his own British twist. I mean, obviously, Lisboeta is a, is a, is a Portuguese restaurant in the UK. Um, one thing we have around this island a lot is cod. Fresh cod, swimming around. Very good quality cod. But never salted. Never salted. So it's counterintuitive for me to be operating here in the UK and salting or using a product that is so labor-intensive 
Uh, and that was basically the reason why, you know, culturally, yes, but the reason why it was salted was also out of necessity because it was how it, it was, it was, it's, it enabled us to travel with it around. So the question that you ask yourself is like, what do you do? If you have fresh cod here, why the hell would you salt it? So imagine if I actually got the fresh cod, salted it, and then desalted it. So the whole process would take me a month. Yeah. So what do we do? We cure it. So we cure it lightly, and they confit it. And I think that what we get here is pretty special. Okay, so, right. I'm not gonna make this from scratch because obviously it takes more time. So what we have here, we have really nice caramelized onions. Caramelized onions, and, oh, and we just basically, we melt them really, really gently in olive oil, a little bit of salt and pepper. Mendish adds stock made from the cod, confit flakes of the fish, and then blends in beaten eggs. So this, the trimmings of the cod, what we do, they're slightly overcooked. So we, these are slightly saltier, and we just fold a little bit of those through. So these are like cod flakes? Yeah, exactly. Slightly more cooked, right? The dish is topped with homemade shoestring potato strips, like a nest of crispy potato straws on top of a creamy, but not sludgy, cod and onion mixture. Needless to say, it's delicious. Any arguments over bacalhau and the recipe over, over all of your long years? <laughs> I've, I've, I've witnessed a few, just like real. Um, I think one of my grandmothers, like, you know, she used to hold post Christmas dinner, and at some point, my my mom and my and my uncle started getting very vocal about their skills of cooking and like complaining about the fact that the, the codfish was really overcooked and she couldn't cook it anymore. So uh, next year, my uncle turned up with a suckling pig and that did not go down well at all. A Christmas without cod in Portugal may be an anathema to more than just the Mendes family, but there's always a glass or two of something nice to lighten the mood and to take away the obsession from the food. So, yeah. when you sit down to your bacalhau uh, with your family on the 24th of December, what does one drink with it? Oh, just empty out the cellar, just get the best stuff and put it on the table. Cheers to that. For Monocle Radio in London, I'm Nina Dos Santos. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's a midday in San Francisco. Also, don't forget to tune into our spin-off show, Food Neighbourhoods, for a tour of some of the world's tastiest destinations. I am Chiara Rimella. This programme was produced by Monica Lillis and our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Once again, we finished this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Christmas Tree Farm by Taylor Swift. Thanks for listening and have a very Merry Christmas. My heart is a Christmas tree farm where the people would come to dance under sparkling lights bundled up in their mittens and coats and the cider would flow.